0: Gospel with Dr. Halista Elwine. Join us around our Shabbat dining table as we explore the Torah portion. All right, so we're just going to review a little bit of the Torah portion, Bamid Bar. And what we want to do is maybe link it into some Shavuot principles. How many of you know that the Torah is from the wilderness? That's good news, right? How many of you feel like you're in a wilderness? So what do you have as a resource in the wilderness? The Torah. Awesome. So uh, for those listening... By audio, the readings are numbers 1-1 through four twenty, 20 uh, Hosea 2-1 through two twenty three, 23 And I added, if, if you're taking notes, um, because really we're looking for context, sometimes you read things in the B'rit in the New Testament, and as you're reading them, you feel as though maybe the writer thought you knew something that you don't think you know. You ever get that idea? Like, they seem to be assuming some knowledge on my part and I feel like I should know what they're talking about and I get it at a plain level. There's nothing we can't understand at a plain level in the Brit But every now and then I feel like there's a story I don't know here. There's something behind this. So, uh, for the story behind the story, we're going to go to Hebrews 12, 18 through 29. We may not read all of it. I'm more interested in That phrase, the church of the firstborn. Because in our Torah portion this week, of course, we have the the redemption of the firstborn, how the Levites are gonna take the, the place of the firstborn. So that's what I wanna do. I wanna tie together, I think, around three themes from Bamidbar. And hopefully we can lay a foundation for understanding the Son of Man who has a sickle in the book of Revelation and the angel. Who has a sharp sickle in the book of Revelation, because when you see a sickle, it's going to make you think of two specific feasts. We have Passover, which is the reaping of the barley harvest, or the first fruits of it. You're going to continue that harvest, and then at Shavuot, you will have a sharp sickle, hopefully, so that you can begin reaping the first fruits of the wheat harvest. And so as we're reading that chapter in Revelation and we're seeing the one like the Son of Man who's reaping a harvest, it's going to make us think, obviously, of Passover to Shavuot in terms of a a GPS, helping us know where our feet are standing at that particular time. But if we think about the, the sharp sickle, and the angel being told to go out and reap, there's something odd about that. I don't, if you're not a farmer or a vintner, is that the right word, vintner? Um, you may not have noticed that he's using the wrong tool. If he's going out to harvest grapes, he should have, a, it's, it's a pruning knife, is actually what it looks like. It's a sharp knife. It's a hand small handheld instrument, because you're you're making these little precision cuts in order to take the clusters of grapes off. Not that you wouldn't pick up a few twigs and branches and things that are gonna get stuck into the basket, but you never see anyone going out to reap a vineyard with a sickle that you would use on a field of wheat. So that's telling you, this is gonna be messy. This is going to be really, really messy. And because it's grapes, we know that it's timed to Sukkot. Somebody's in trouble at Sukkot, because if the Son of Man did not reap you, and it goes back to Passover and Shavuot, we tend to kind of skip over Shavuot, because we don't know what to do with it. It doesn't have all these fun things to do, like Passover and Sukkot, right? We don't have all these cool traditions, which some do, some don't, or some uh, personalize, which is fine. Uh, But with Shavuot, it's mainly like, okay, and I'm supposed to eat dairy? Why? Show me where it commemorates the giving of the Torah. And so you have to do a little calendar work, which is dangerous, right? And there's still going to be disagreement in terms of even the date of Shavuot, because if if we don't start counting on the same day, then we're not going to end up on the same day. Doesn't matter. This year it fell on a Sunday, right? So, Baruch Hashem. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) We don't want to get in that argument. At any rate, I want you to sense the importance of Shavuot because Scripture seems to be telling us—and I can't take credit for finding this all by myself. It was actually the rabbis that showed me the Scriptures where to go look. It was looking in these rabbinic sources. But their understanding is that the righteous are sealed. You heard that in Revelation, right? The righteous are actually sealed at Shavuot. See we're conditioned between the Feast of Trumpets and Yom Kippur to say may your name be inscribed and sealed in the Book of Life for a sweet year. Well, here's the thing from the Jewish perspective. That's for the lukewarm. Remember Yeshua's message to Laodicea, I wish that you were either hot or cold, but because you're lukewarm, I'm gonna vomit you out of my mouth. And if you want to know what that means, just go look up the vomit verses in the Torah. You can do a word search, look up the vomit verses, and you'll know exactly who he's speaking to. So he didn't change the language between the Torah and Revelation. He's still going to vomit you out if you have one foot here and one foot here. And this is why you would be so miserable. If you were completely wicked, you would be completely happy, kind of, in a wicked way. Not to be in the kingdom, because this is exactly what you chose. Right. I don't want to have anything to do with the kingdom of heaven. Heaven's no, right? So I just want to be wicked. i want to live in a wicked kingdom. So you've chosen that. You're firm on that. I'm I'm completely convinced I love wickedness and darkness. So when the wickedness and the darkness is judged, you chose where you wanted to be, and you can at least take responsibility for your choices. Here's the problem. What if you knew the way of righteousness, but you thought that you could do some fun stuff on the side. In other words, yes, I, I, I do want that fire insurance, but I just want the insurance. I don't want you calling me all the time and giving me the safety tips, right? <laughs> uh, I don't want to stay within these boundaries. I don't want to walk toward to per- perfection. I, I just want to, you know, I might have this little show that I watch. I know I shouldn't be watching it, but you know what? I don't care. He's not going to judge me for that, right? There's grace. Somehow we think grace is to give license to the things we want to do that we know we shouldn't be doing, and that's not what grace is at all. But there might be places where we're sticking our feet over in areas that the Holy Spirit has been working with us and saying, okay, maybe that was all right 10 years ago, but honey, you shouldn't be doing that now. You should know better by now. And so this sense of blending the two worlds and thinking i can have the eternal security of my salvation but yet i can enjoy some things out here in the world okay no you can't not at that point time's up you know there's boundaries this generation does not like to accept they see a boundary they want to destroy it push it back say it doesn't exist every line they're trying to blur or destroy and you can deceive yourself into thinking that's possible All the way up until the wrath of the Lamb. And then you can't deceive yourself anymore. You'll understand how horrible it is that because you weren't sealed over at Shavuot, because you refused to affirm the covenant by not just hearing, but doing. It's a way of righteousness that you promised way back at at, uh, Passover. You put the blood on the doorpost at Passover. That was your good faith promise. I don't know everything yet, you've not taken me to the mountain yet, but if you will take me to the mountain, I agree to grow like my father Abraham, that you can lead me through my tests and I will continue to grow in your word. You just teach me what it is and I will do it. So they get to the mountain and they say, we will do and we will hear. But just like Moses says when they were ready to enter the promised land, there were some who stood there and it says, you're blessing yourself and your heart, saying nothing good or bad, is going to happen to me if I just persist in my own way. You can stand there and talk Torah all you want, but I'm still going to hold on to my pet sins. But they look just like the rest of us standing there at Shavuot. And so from that point, the Holy Spirit is going to know those who are sealed. It is going to seal you up, and then you will simply continue on that path until the Feast of Trumpets at the resurrection of the dead, and then you will be made completely perfect. So from... The Feast of Trumpets until Yom Kippur in that year, that phrase, may your name be inscribed and sealed in the Book of Life, is really something for the intermediates, or they call them lukewarm. The ones who are kind of in and kind of out. And the horror of that position is knowing that something has changed in the universe and you weren't gathered you were not gathered. And you know you've got 10 days to get it right before they shut the gates at Yom Kippur because once those gates are shut at Yom Kippur, exactly what you see that angel doing in the book of Revelation is what's going to happen. He's going to start treading out the grapes of wrath. And those who were lukewarm they are in the most horrible position because they knew what they needed to do to repent. They chose not to repent, and now they're being thrown outside the holy city because they can't enter into it. Remember, it says talks about treading the grapes outside the holy city, up to the horse's bridle, outside. That's the key. Outside the city. The banquet is going on inside the city. So the reason we want to look at, kind of review where we are here in Bamidbar. Is because in the wilderness is the Torah. In the wilderness is where he can seal us over. In fact, it's seen, you know our um, song of songs that says, Set me as a seal? That is seen as being Shavuot. And why are we told to put on tefillin? Why are we told to, to tie on his commandments on our forehead and on our arms? That's our tefillin. Well, who are his? Not what. Who are his tefillin? See, he has strapped you onto himself. And so, as we're being sealed up, sealed up in what? Agreeing to do his commandments. It's way past salvation. Salvation was back there in Egypt, right? Way past that. So now you're at the foot of the mountain, and you're trying to find a way forward. Uh, You're not just marking time until the Feast of Trumpets. You're being perfected in that ceiling, all the way up to the Feast of Trumpets. And so I was thinking about, because we're going to look at the wilderness, what is the wilderness today? Bamidbar is going to teach us about the Israelites' wilderness. Where is ours? That's what's important to us. But their lessons are for us. And so I found that quote, I've heard it all my life, but I never knew who said it. I finally found, it was some guy back in the 1400s that none of us knows, but he said, wherever you go, there you are. (laughs) That's the wilderness for us. Wherever you go, your wilderness, there you are. Because your wilderness is going to be experienced as an exile among the nations, not as a geographical point between Egypt and Canaan. Right, so the three passages I wanted to look at, uh, Numbers 1, 1 through 3, the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the tent of meeting on the first day of the second month in the second year after they had come out of the land of Egypt, saying, take a census of all the congregation of the people of Israel by clans, by fathers' houses, according to the number of names, every male head by head, from 20 years old and upward, all in Israel who were able to go to war, you and Aaron shall list them company by company. There is a reckoning in the wilderness. That's important to know. And, and the way they counted was by names. So he, if he knows your name, I mean, it was just like with those demons, you know, the seven sons of Sceva were trying to cast out demons. It's like, Yeshua we know, Paul we know, who are you? What business do you have ordering us around? Uh So we want him to know our name, but this is going to be a representative census of preparation for war. Hard times coming because enemies will rise up. So the the first component in the wilderness is going to be a census or a reckoning. This would pertain very specifically to the Feast of Trumpets. Why the Feast of Trumpets? The understanding and There's multiple passages that you can go and find the context, but in a nutshell, this is when all the nations, it is said, pass under the shepherd's rod. The reckoning, the accounting, the numbering and the naming. So looking forward to the Feast of Trumpets from Shavuot, you can see the counting started going on way back here in the wilderness. Way back in the wilderness. You're being accounted. You're being reckoned. The next passage is uh, actually a verse, 2-2. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, the people of Israel shall camp each by his own standard with the banners of their father's houses. They shall camp facing the tent of meeting on every side. So they had a, a dual job here. They've got to face the tent of meeting, but yet they also have to guard in terms of like facing the enemy around the perimeter of the camp. But those four encampments are important to understand when you get to the book of Revelation and you have to understand. It was actually in one of the songs we sang today. No, it was in the liturgy. Talking about setting up the thrones at the gates of Jerusalem. It's based on this proto-prophecy right here. Originally, the twelve tribes... Their designation, as we see by their encampment in the wilderness, it was so that they could judge at the 12 gates of Jerusalem and the nations could go up and receive right judgments. And of course, King Messiah is over all, but this divine machine is what I call it. It had a job. So they're rehearsing here in the wilderness. Should they fall down on that job? Should they abdicate that responsibility, fall into sin? then that leaves the angels of the four winds striving with one another. And we all know what happens when high winds come, destructive winds, when there's no synchronization, no correlation, when things happen out of season, when they're they're too harsh or not harsh enough, when you don't have enough rain, when you have too much rain, So as long as Israel was encamped in obedience, if we were able able to take a weather sample, we should find out for those years there was peace on earth because they were doing their spiritual responsibility. And that holds back, but doesn't really hold back because holding back can be damaging too. But it, it kept those four angels of the four winds on an even keel, doing properly at the proper season, what they needed to do. The next passage is Numbers 340. The Lord said to Moses, list all the firstborn males of the people of Israel from a month old and upward, taking the number of their names. And you shall take the Levites for me. I am the Lord, instead of all the firstborn among the people of Israel and the cattle of the Levites, instead of all the firstborn among the cattle of the people of Israel. So both the priests and the Levites became substitute firstborn in some respect either through the beasts or literally uh, being appropriated for holy service. Now, is our position exactly the same as theirs? Probably for most of us, no. We are not Levites or priests by blood. However, in the same way that there are Levites and priests who serve the twelve tribes, likewise, those twelve tribes, just like we see them set up with thrones at the twelve gates of Jerusalem— They, in turn, serve as priests and Levites out to the nations. So if you want to prepare to know how to serve the nations, you go back and you look at the service of the priests and the Levites. And again, the holy city don't presume access. We talk about all the nations going up, and so somehow we envision just every Tom, Dick, and Harry being able to go into the holy city. It won't be like that. We'll have to judge whether they're fit to come in. And we may not even feel ready ourselves. There's something about getting down there by the, by the wall, by the cotel, that really makes you look at yourself and say, am I even fit to stand at a retaining wall to the temple? But this is our opportunity to grow in holiness, to prepare for that. And then we know that he can make all things perfect. Yeah, right? So you say, oh my goodness, I'm falling so short. You're not quitting, are you? No. So you don't quit, and then he is able to make you stand. What you can't do on your own, he can do for you. And this final one, this is the one we want to break apart a little bit for Shavuot, because it has in it, like I say, some tradition concerning Mount Sinai and the giving of the Torah that most of us aren't aware of. But evidently, the writer to the Hebrews knows about it, so he refers to it. So in uh, chapter 12, verse 18, he says, "...you have not come to a mountain that can be touched, and to a blazing fire." Into darkness and gloom and whirlwind, into and the blast of a trumpet and the sound of words, which sound was that those who heard begged that no further word be spoken to them. For they could not cope with the command, if even an animal touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. That is harsh. So we're at Mount Sinai. We're receiving the Torah, or about to. It says, So terrible was the sight that Moses says, I am terrified and trembling. But you have come to Mount Sion, and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to myriads of angels. That's the part that comes out of the tradition. Because it is said that at the giving of the, the Torah, when Israel as one nation, and they didn't rehearse this, you realize, it just happened spontaneously. Think of the song in Revelation. They just spontaneously know this song. But when they said, we will do... And we will hear. They say that myriads of angels came down and they tied two crowns upon each person, one for we will do and one for we will hear. And then when the golden calf thing happened, they came back down and took them away. (laughs) So this writer is reminding us of that experience, so we don't have any, you know, trouble knowing what he's referring to. He's referring here to the giving of the Torah. To the general assembly and the church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, there's words there that are important because it has to do with your name being inscribed, being written down, being sealed up at Shavuot, not at the Feast of Trumpets. It should already be a done deal. It should have already occurred, but you want to stay humble. Don't assume you're already written there. You have to keep walking. He says you've come to God, the judge of all, judging according to what document? The Torah is the one you accepted. It's the document that that you validated. And to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. Remember what we said about tradition. When are the righteous sealed? Shavuot. This is the context here of uh, this section of chapter 12. The spirits of the righteous made perfect. This is why tomorrow is such an important day. Because this is the day when your spirit is going to be made perfect going forward. You want to get that thing sealed up because hard times will come between now and the Feast of Trumpets. We don't want to stray. We don't want to be distracted. We don't want to be discouraged because it does feel like people are falling on every side right now. They're being emotionally attacked, mentally attacked, physically attacked, spiritually attacked, just stupid attacked. You're like, where is this coming from? How can people be this angry? Well, things are being shaken in the heavenlies right now. And so that kind of goes back. Where do you want to stand between now and the Feast of Trumpets? Because if it's this bad, and we are the righteous being made perfect, how much worse must it feel to be out there and not really be convinced you want to walk in the Torah? Not convinced enough to really do it, right? In and out, in and out, in and out. You're in the most danger. The fire always starts where? On the outskirts of the camp and to Yeshua, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood, which speaks better than the blood of Abel. So that kind of shows you a great tour, I think, of what Mount Sinai and the commandments do for us in the wilderness. And remember, your wilderness is among the peoples. It's among the nations. And we are his firstborn. It talks about the assembly of the firstborn, Exodus 4.22. It says, you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. Doesn't matter if you're male or female. You're a firstborn son in that context. Uh, Deuteronomy 14, why do you not cut yourselves or shave yourselves for the sake of the dead? Because you don't want to associate yourself, yourself with the realm of death. See, part of being the firstborn is being part of the assembly of the resurrected You don't want to associate with dead people. And the last thing they would want you to do is to be mutilating yourself for their memory. That would put them in a state of abject horror, because once they cross over, they know truth. They do. And if they look and they have a consciousness of those who they left behind, mutilating themselves and in essence, disobeying the word on their account. Can you imagine how horrified you would be if somebody was breaking the Torah and doing it in your memory? I mean, that just destroys all this ancestor worship stuff, right? Can you imagine how much darkness and gnashing of teeth there is when they look back and they see, wow, just like the rich man, you have an awareness of what's going on. doesn't mean you have a body to do anything about it. So there's some real horror if you were to know that. Like, can you imagine poor Mary, Yeshua's mother, and all the stuff that's done in her memory? And she's like, would you stop? Please stop already? It's about my son. It's about the father. But we are supposed to be the first fruits from the dead. So as the first fruits from the dead and the firstborn, the last thing we want to do is associate ourselves with the realm of death. We are people of life. Deuteronomy 131, it says, In the wilderness where you saw how the Lord your God carried you just as a man carries his son, and all the way which you have walked until you came to this place. Which place is he talking about at that point? Where had he led them? He led them to the promised land, and they're just ready to go in. But he's pointing back at the wilderness says, Look at all the way he brought you. He carried you like a man carries his son, and he brings you right here. He brings you... Pretty much to the garden. Because remember, the garden hovers just above the land of Israel. It's the place. It's our destination. The cool thing about it is once you cross over, you will be able to see the land in a way that normal human beings, who are really not normal because they're in a fallen state, they won't be able to see what you see. Because you already see something there that they don't see. Because you already see something there that they don't see, You will be able to see all that's there, and they will be unable to. There will still be a cloudiness to it. But your destination is the garden, your destination is the resurrection. Exodus uh, 19, 12 through 17, want to look at going up. What does that mean? It says, you shall set boundaries for the people all around, saying, beware that you do not go up the mountain or touch the border of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall certainly be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall certainly be stoned or shot through. Whether animal or person, the violator shall not live. When the ram's horn sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. When will you go up? When you hear a long blast. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people, and they washed their garments. He also said to the people, be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. So it came about on the third day when it was morning. And this is what we've been looking at in our, our online classes is how important Passover is to your resurrection. Don't discount it. Don't say Passover has already been fulfilled. Don't say the, the spring feasts are already fulfilled. Now we're just waiting for him to fulfill the fall feast. Don't say that. Prophecies are fulfilled multiple times. Hebrews has already told us that he's gone into the Holy of Holies. That's a fall feast thing. What we're going to see is the the teaching patterns that were set down are still going to be valid. It's very possible that something will happen on a Passover or could have already happened on Passover and you're not aware of it. Because the Israelites certainly weren't acting like they were aware. They were in a semi-supernatural state. Now, somebody's giving you free bread, free water, clothes that never wear out, a cloud of protection, and you're still complaining and carrying on? Something's wrong. There's a disconnect there. They didn't know where they were. Their, their spiritual perception, it was occluded. So it came about on the third day. It could be that something very important will happen at the time of the reaping of the barley at Pesach. That something will continue for seven perfect sevens up until Shavuot. At the conclusion of the seven perfect sevens at Shavuot, that's the ceiling. This is why we don't discount Passover. That's why we don't just have fun with the kids on Passover. Something important is happening not just at Passover, but also at the reaping of that barley because of the angel with the sickle. You've got the one like the Son of Man with the sickle. You want to be harvested at Passover. You want to be harvested at Shavuot. You don't necessarily want in on that grape harvest. So it came about on the third day when it was morning that there were thunder and lightning flashes and a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet sound so that all the people who were in the camp trembled And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. So there is an affirmation about to take place here at Shavuot every year. Every year we come to the mountain, we meet Adonai, and we affirm. We say, we will do and we will hear. Now, are there some among us who bless ourselves in our hearts and say, even though I affirm what this word says, I know I'm just going to do my own thing on these certain issues? Let's hope we're not doing that. Let's hope instead we're saying, Father, I'm saying this, but I know I've still got some things to do in a certain area. I've still got some gaps here. Please help me perfect these things before the fall feasts arrive. That's the difference. Don't just sit there and say, I'll do it anyway, and he won't judge it. Say, I know you're going to judge it. Therefore, please help me. Please help me. So Moses went up with Aaron, Nadab and Avihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel. Uh, This is Exodus 24, 9, by the way. And they saw the God of Israel, and under his feet there appeared to be a pavement of sapphire as clear as the sky itself. Yet he did not reach out his hand against the nobles of the sons of Israel, and they saw God, and they ate and they drank. Now, this is very consistent with another tradition, is that when you cross over The first thing that they say will happen is that Adam will greet you with great joy, kind of like what Yeshua did with Miriam in the garden. Woman, why are you weeping? This is great. You're in a resurrection garden. You don't get where you are. But then they say you will sit down at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and you will enjoy a banquet, and you'll get to know your dads in faith. Yeshua alluded this. He told the Sadducees about it. He says, many are going to come from the east, west, the north, the south. They're going to sit down at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You're going to see it from afar, but you won't be able to enter in because you didn't believe in it. (laughs) I mean, how can you inherit what you don't believe in, right? They did not believe in the resurrection. So that tradition... We get a glimpse of it right here. We see the the 70 elders, and then uh, Moses, Aaron, Nadav, Abihu. We see these elders sit down and eat and drink, and it says they saw God. Now, how could they see him and live? Well, here's the funny thing, because we're going to be told pretty much by the writer of the Hebrews that, yeah, you saw God. How did you do that? They say that what happened is he picked up the Temple Mount, that realm that we're talking about, picked it up and settled it down over Mount Sinai like a blanket. And there was, I don't know what the word would be, a membrane, a shield, something between them so that as they're they're looking through a veil rather than looking directly at him, because had they looked directly at him, of course, they would have just gone. So there's a protection there, but they were literally experiencing Jerusalem. And so when the writer to the Hebrew says, you have come to Mount Zion, you're not just going to see him through a veil. You're going to encounter him face-to-face, and you're going to eat and drink. And there's kind of the proto-prophecy of that process. Now the Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and stay there, and I will give you the stone tablets with the law, the commandments which I've written for their instruction. So again, at this point, only Moses is going to go up higher, right? But it's his job when he comes back down to educate, instruct, clarify supply them with everything that they need to be able to ascend up to the promised land. When you ascend to the promised land, it's called making aliyah, and it comes from Allah, which means go up. And the Ola offering does what? It goes up. And there's an interesting thing about Allah. It can mean go up. It can also mean removal. Can it be that there will people who ascend or go up to the mountain, And they're actually being removed from a certain realm of death and entropy. But also at the same time, those who bless themselves in their hearts and say, he's not going to judge me for my sin, they will also be removed and taken away. So here, um, it's not a list of 10, but it it probably could have been. But here's nine things that we ascend to in the wilderness. Because the wilderness is a place of strengthening. Strengthening. You say, wait a minute, most of them died in the wilderness. You don't think the ones that left were strong? That's the ones we want to be part of. So that's my goal for this year. Don't complain about the complainers. (laughs) Or the food. All the food is good. The Torah is from the wilderness, number one. Number two, the Mishkan, the tabernacle, is from the wilderness. Number three, the Sanhedrin, or the court, was instituted in the wilderness, Number four, the priesthood is from the wilderness. Number five, the Levitical divisions are from the wilderness. Number six, the monarchy is from the wilderness. Two examples, you are a kingdom of priests. That is a monarchy. And he establishes the mercy seat in the Mishkan. The mercy seat is one of his thrones, by the way. There's a mercy seat and then there's a judgment seat. Number seven. And this is going to have three parts. These are just called the good gifts. The three good gifts are the the miraculous well of water, the manna, and the clouds of glory. The well, the manna, the clouds of glory. The eighth, and I've got a little asterisk on this because, like I said, this does come out of tradition. You're going to have a hard time finding this in the Torah. You would have to go to the letter to the Hebrews to find it. Um, The crowns were bestowed in the wilderness. Again, it said that 60 myriads of ministering angels descended when Israel said, we will do and we will hear. And they they put two crowns on each person, and then the sin of the cold and calf came, and they took away those crowns. And again, in Revelation, you see the crowns kind of pop up. So there you have a context for it. And the last one here is that prophecy is from the wilderness. For the Israelites kind of began with the burning bush, Moses being out there. And he says, I'll bring you back to this mountain, and you're going to worship me on this mountain. Prophecy comes from the wilderness. So when we think of all the things that are in the wilderness, as we go through the Torah portions, we might say, well, this is really a bad period in Israelite history. Look at all the bad stuff that happened out here. Look how many people were killed out here. But when we go over those nine things, those are some pretty good things to bring out of the wilderness. Those are pretty good things. That's pretty good preparation. What is this? This is preparation so that you can ascend. It's strengthening you in the wilderness. So Allah, to ascend up, it can mean ascent. It can also mean removal from. When Israel makes Aliyah, she's going to go up spiritually. She's going to touch the garden. She's going to inhabit Jerusalem, and she's going to be removed from the death of the natural world. In fact, the rabbis say, had the golden calf incident not happened, and then subsequently, had the evil report of the ten spies not happened, that they would have lived forever. Because they affirmed, we will do and we will hear. And had they obeyed that, that they had actually been elevated at that time. They had those crowns. And taking those crowns away, it was like saying, "Mm, just like we don't want you to stay in the Garden of Eden and eat from the Tree of Life and live forever in sin. So I'm going to take these crowns away from you because now you're in sin. I can't put you back in this realm that I want to take you. And so at this point, we're still anticipating that particular transformation that should take place at the resurrection. But for them, much of the power of entropy was suspended. Wouldn't you love that? Um, And so when Israel is removed from, when Allah means removed from, you can see how that works because many died in the wilderness. They were removed from the gathering, and they were removed because of unbelief. And then they were also removed from the cloud. And remember, the cloud represents the gathering of the saints. What was over the mountain? A thick cloud. Where do you want to ascend to? You want to ascend into the cloud. So that's going to remove you from this state of entropy and death, But at the same time, it appears this is going to be a reckoning. And we're going to look at a scripture that has to do with that tomorrow, where he's saying, I'm going to take you into the wilderness, and then I'm going to start to gather you. And then at that point, he says, I'm going to start judging you face to face, just like I did in the wilderness. So you're saying, well, I'll just wait till we get out in this wilderness, and I'll straighten up. Mm -mm, You're in it. Wherever you go, there you are. And you won't really know, I don't think... The exact point where you should straighten up. The time to straighten up is now. Yeshurun, straighten up and fly right, right? Go straight. And so he's going to begin to reckon. I don't think the Israelites knew out there in the wilderness that I'm two seconds away from dying when they went. When they were removed, think of the sins that they did, the complaining, the gossiping, the, the challenges, the rebellions against the leadership, And like the daughters of Salafah said about their father, said he died in his own sin. They were doing things out there that caused them to die. And had they really understood where they were, would they have done those things that were going to kill them one second later? If you knew that your sin would kill you one second later, would you quit? Well, that's kind of what the wilderness is like. You say, well, we want to go up. Well, be ready. Because once you're up there, there might be a, a pretty dear price for continuing to misbehave, to, for continuing to rebel, and thinking he won't judge what you're doing. It's, it's a great thing, but there is a high degree of responsibility that's required to walk in that cloud. And again, that's why I say we wanna continue walking toward perfection. Let's see, what do I wanna do next? Song of Songs 3.6. And again, what is our point? Being sealed up at Shavuot. Being sealed up. What do we say? Um, Sanctify us in your commandments. It doesn't say save us with your commandments. It says sanctify us. If he's going to bring you into a holy city, and you expect to resurrect and walk around the holy city with all the saints, just like you saw when Yeshua was resurrected, the saints were resurrected. They were walking around the holy city doing I don't know what to people, but had to have been a little scary. And how would you know that was Noah? I mean but he smell like animals or something. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe at a bottle, who knows with Noah. At any rate, if if you want to be included in that number, right? The the state of preparation, then you have to rise, no pun intended, to that level of perfection and just yield to the Holy Spirit. So here's what it says in Song of Songs 3:6. What is this coming up from the wilderness, like columns of smoke, perfumed with myrrh and frankincense, and with all the scented powders of the merchant? But this shows how the bride is going to go from the wilderness to enter the land of promise. Just like Moses says, he's brought you to this place. Well, at Shavuot, he is going to bring you to a mountain. That is preparation for the next step. He wants to resurrect your body, and he wants you to be able to go in a gate. We don't even need to be arguing over which gate we go in. We just need to get ready for any gate that might be open to the holy city, because if it's a holy city, and it's the tzaddikim or the righteous that are seen walking around the holy city, then it's not going to be the vomit people. We don't want to be vomit people. No. <laughs> we have dogs, and you know what dogs do. When they vomit, they just, the same thing that they just upchucked, they'll eat again. Well, we do the same stuff. We do these sins. And we say, well, I'm not gonna do that anymore. What do we do? We go right back, we eat the same sin. But this is our preparation. How did he prepare them? He prepared them with the Mishkan. He prepared them with columns of smoke from the altar. He prepared them with the, the literal pillars of smoke and fire. He prepares them with the incense smoke. He prepares them with the myrrh and the frankincense. If you remember the the daily offerings, they had to have a handful of frankincense that went on to that offering that goes on to the altar. And the scented powders, those have an interesting history, by the way. Uh, When you look up, start running the the word search on those powders, avak, in Hebrew, and you keep following the, the root words back, Guess where the avak first showed up? When Jacob wrestled with the angel all night long. The, the word for wrestling, avakah, it's got the same root as avak, which means like dust. So you've got a noun, avakah, wrestling with the angel, and it had to do with crossing over. Bringing his sons back to their inheritance. They've been out here in the land of Levon, they've been out there in the exile, he's got to get his sons back into the promised land. Well, in order to do that, he's going to have to wrestle. A man, an angel, yes. The rabbis say that this, angel, this was uh, Esau's angel that he was wrestling with. He was going to have to... And, and one of the clues is, it, it starts to be daybreak, and the angel says, I have to go. The power of Esau, which is the power of Edom, which is the power of Rome, is broken at daylight. The, the realm, the era of the beast kingdoms will be broken by the last watch of the night. And so maybe tomorrow we can talk about those three watches of the temple night and why Yeshua does not even suggest he might come back in the first watch of the night, but he says whether he comes back in the second or even the third. Even the third. Why would he designate the second or the third? Well, the hint there is you better get it right before sunup. Because, and it has to do with saying the Shema. You say the Shema evening and morning. Now, you usually say the Shema in the first watch of the night. After the sun goes down, you say the Shema, the first watch. You get your business done. You get your spiritual business done. You affirm the commandments when you say the Shema. But the rabbis say, what if you forget? Well, they say, our tradition is you say the evening Shema before midnight, It goes back to the Passover lamb. Eat it before midnight. Because when it comes to keeping the commandments, if you're lukewarm, something could distract you. Something could interfere. Something could come up. How many times does that happen? You get off your normal schedule, something happens, you're working overtime, and then you've lost track of time. And see, you can't turn the clock back and say the Shema if you let it ride over and then the sun's up and you realize that the sun is up and you haven't said it. You can't turn the clock back and say that Shema. Now you can learn next time, (laughs) set your watch or something, set an alarm. But he says, what if it's the second watch of the night? Well, they say you can still say the Shema. If it's the second watch of the night, go ahead and say it. Well, what about the third watch of the night? Go ahead and say it. But you're in a real danger zone right there. Because the thing about the night is there are no signs to be observed with the eye. That's why we are told the Son of Man returns, His return is not with signs to be observed with the eye. That's why Yeshua said, don't be running out in the wilderness. Don't go up in a closet looking for me. Just because somebody tells you I'm there, He says the kingdom of heaven is within you. You should already know where the Son of Man is. That Shema business in the first watch of the night, it means you're not going to hold it over to the second watch and risk not being able to say it because something comes up. You're not going to risk it being the third watch of the night, and all of a sudden, oh no, the sun's up because that's when the destruction starts. That's when, the, that's when your exile is over, and that's when the destruction begins on Rome, Edom, the fourth beast kingdom that has infected and infested the feet of the world, the nations of the world. That's when the judgment begins. And that's why it's important for us to make sure that we're taking care of our spiritual business at Shavuot. Get sealed over at Shavuot. Don't let it linger until the feast of trumpets don't let it linger well i got one more day i got one more day and then all of a sudden it's yom kippur well i've got till sundown it's yom kippur i've got till sundown i can do it all the way up until then he says he's coming at an hour that you don't think he will and when he says an hour sometimes he doesn't mean an hour literally 60 minutes sometimes he can mean a month a whole month Sometimes he can just mean an appointed time that has nothing to do with how many minutes are there. And he says, even to his disciples, it's a time you won't think of. But we've been conditioned to think he's coming back at the Feast of Trumpets. And he is. There's a resurrection at the Feast of Trumpets. But what if, remember, the days are going to be shortened for the sake of the elect. What if it's very important that you be spiritually awake at Passover? What if it's very important that you're sealed over at Shavuot because you don't know that perhaps he might have already begun the gathering. The the sickle may have already gone into the standing grain because you realize when they set apart the grain for the Omer to offer in the temple, they didn't cut the barley and then tie it into sheaves. This particular barley... They went out, they decided where the sheaf would be, and they tied the string around the living barley. It was still rooted in the earth. It was still alive when it was bound together, but it was going to be reaped in little bundles. So here's the thing. We talked about the little flocks in the wilderness that the rabbis say are going to form during the footsteps of Messiah. I think they're already forming. From what i can see let's look at the sheaves of the barley he's gathering us while our roots are still in the earth he's tying a string around us while our roots are still in the earth and he's setting it apart and uh, tomorrow we'll go over the exact questions that are asked before the barley is reaped and then we'll compare it to what yeshua and the angel with the sharp sickle are doing in revelation and we might see why maybe he is coming at a time that we've not been conditioned to think about, but he's saying being prepared at all time. Don't wait till the second watch. Don't wait till the third watch. Definitely do not wait till the third watch. Because once the day breaks, you see that barley it's harvested in the first watch of the night. After the sun goes down, they're doing this the day before Passover. Wow. We don't really think it clicks in until the Passover, right? But this barley was set apart and reaped the night before in the first watch of the night so do you want to be part of those sheaves or do you want to wait all the way until the sun starts to go down on Yom Kippur because the message to Thyatira which I know you guys have gone into in detail does that not tell you that it's going to be hard if you wait that long it's going to be really really hard He says, I'll throw you on a sick bed, and I'm gonna send a plague upon you. I'm gonna send pestilence upon you and your children if you won't repent. And Thyatira, remember, it corresponds to Shavuot. It's the fourth feast. So you can see right there, I'll throw you into great tribulation. I don't think it means that you can't be saved at that point after Shavuot. I think it means you want to be saved and walking in your salvation. The best way you know how. Because the the pushback is going to be tremendously, much more heavy after that Shavuot. Whenever it is. If it's next year or if it's a hundred years from now. I don't know. But that's why we need to take Shavuot very seriously. Because things are happening earlier than we think. The days are shortened. And an hour that you think not. In other words, if you just Fixate on the Feast of Trumpets as your resurrection time, you might have already missed the really important things. Because we'll also look at uh, the passage where Satan is thrown down from heaven and he begins to blaspheme not only the name of the Holy One, but it says those who dwell in heaven. But we're going to start breaking those down. Those who dwell in heaven, it's actually going to be those who are in the tent. The tent was in the wilderness. And Um, So the implication there is we may already be, in a sense, removed from those blasphemers. He's aware of us. We're probably aware of him and his blasphemies. But they're already, it says, dwelling in heaven. Which realm of heaven? There's several levels. You know that, right? The Garden of Eden is the third level, which tells you there's two below that that we're not really in tune with. Well, it could be as he gathers us into the wilderness, yes, he will blaspheme us, yes, he will blaspheme the holy name, but we're already, in a sense, in heaven before we thought we would be. Did that just pretzel your mind, or? <laughs> All right. How's our time now? Good? We're good. All right, so that's just kind of an overview, but um, that was the point, always be alert Be alert through the watches of the night, because the night is your exile. If you're not in Jerusalem with King Messiah, you're probably in exile if it's a feast. And so know that you're in the wilderness of the nations, but also know that he can gather you in in such a way that he can protect you from the blasphemies of the adversary who knows his time is short. If he's shortened our days, then the adversary certainly knows that his time is short. Thank you for exploring the Torah portion with us. For more information on this ministry, go to thecreationgospel.com. You can find links there for our newsletter, books, workbooks, Facebook, and our YouTube channel.